Father, your word is our life. Your word is what we need. We thank you that in this country we have the freedom to get as many Bibles as we want. Read your word whenever, wherever. And today, as we, especially as we come and hear it read and preached to us, please prepare our hearts, open our hearts to hear your message. Change us for your glory and help us to be able to apply what we learn today. Amen. We've got two readings from Isaiah this morning. The first one is from chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I say, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. The second reading is from chapter 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teachings, the islands will put their hope. And uh, add my Happy Mother's Day to all the mums out there. Uh, we are going back into Isaiah today. Uh, we are on a long-running series for Isaiah. We've had a few hits at it. And now this term, we're really sinking our teeth into the second half of Isaiah. Before we get to this passage, I just wanted to do a quick book plug. So there are a few copies of this book that uh, should come up on the screen available. It's a really great accessible a companion as you read this book. So we've got, I, th I think there were five there. There might be four now, so they're running hot. Uh, if you miss out, you can grab that online. Um, and uh, that would be a great companion over this term as we work through the second half of Isaiah. Um, I, I, let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive into this text. Gracious God, 
Give us minds that are able to understand your word and hearts that are soft and ready to receive it. Thank you for the comfort that it holds out. Work among us, please, by your spirit now as we hear your word, as we reflect on it. We pray that you might change us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder what you think about when you think about comfort. Uh, this picture sort of sums up what I probably is probably my ideal of comfort, something like this, a, ro- a comfy chair by oh no, one, the one before it. Is there one before it? Uh, diagrams aren't my... Oh, there's not... Oh, I didn't sink. Ah, okay. Well, imagine the scene. <laughs> imagine the scene of a roaring fire and a nice comfy chair next to the... Fu- next to the fire with a big mug of hot chocolate and a good book. That's kind of my ideal of comfort. I don't know about you. you ha- you'll have something different to that. Uh, but these kind of creature comforts, right? Well, that's what I think of when I think of comfort, creature comforts. Uh, and they're just lovely when, when they come. Uh, they're good when they come. But they're the sorts of comforts that don't really last, do they? They don't last. The next day with all its responsibilities comes again and again. Uh, And often I think these kind of creature comforts that we long for, often they're better in our imagination than they are in reality. Um, Your stiff back or your busy mind stops at you from really kind of being present and being able to enjoy it as you wish you would be able to. Um, So we are back in Isaiah, this second half of the book, this term. Uh, We're taking it in fairly large chunks. So we're going to do a few chapters at a time. And the, the, the um, idea is uh, to, to help us to see the message as a whole. Uh, on Sundays, I'll focus on one or two key passages, but our home groups are going to have a, sort of cover the whole sections. So it's just a, sh- a short plug before we get into this passage. Uh, it, it's a good opportunity to join a home group if you're not part of one. Or um, grab one of the home group study booklets. If you're not able to make a home group, grab one of the booklets... Uh, and um, you should be able to work through the studies on your own, and that will really help you as we journey through Isaiah. So that's kind of, uh, that's that. But what I've done is I've called this series Glorious Comfort. That's on the leaflet. Uh, It's on the graphic. You can can see in the front of your leaflet there. It is one of the most beautiful portraits in the Bible of the comfort and hope of the gospel. The comfort and hope of the gospel. It's not a comfort, it's not like those creature comforts, right? It's not a comfort that comes and goes easily. Uh, It's not one that's kind of dependent on getting just the right set of conditions. Okay, so the dishes are done, the house is tidy, kids are asleep. Now I can put my feet up for a few minutes. Uh, It's not that kind of comfort that you kind of need to get all the conditions right in order to access. This comfort doesn't depend on your circumstances. It really doesn't. It doesn't depend on your abilities. It doesn't even depend on your own mental or emotional state. It's a comfort that is a gift. It's a gift that comes to you from outside of yourself. It's a gift that's won for you by the God of the universe and that's freely given to you in his Son. So what I want to do before we dive into this passage, these passages we're looking at today, is just to help paint a bit of a picture, a quick orientation to where we're up to in this wonderful book of Isaiah. Uh, so this is where the diagram should come up. 
If we go to that one, yeah, let's stick on that for a bit. Um, this, uh, so Isaiah, you can see up there, Isaiah is written before Jesus. Jesus is on that side. Um, Isaiah is part of the Old Testament, the part of the Bible written before Jesus, where God's plan to forgive and restore the world is focused in on the nation of Israel. And so it comes at a time when the nation has been split in two. You can see that on uh, your left. Yeah, uh, you can see that uh, the nation has been split in two into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Um, and when he begins preaching, you can see Isaiah up the top there. When Isaiah begins preaching, both the north and the south kingdoms were coming off a time of uh, quite uh, political and economic stability and growth. But while things seemed to be going well on that level, they were that, that what was happening spiritually was disastrous. They were becoming more and more spiritually corrupt. They had rejected God over and over again. They turned to false gods of the nations around them. Uh, God had sort of patiently been calling them back to himself, but they kept refusing to listen to him. And so God hands them over to the consequences of their sin. Uh, he, he promises this terrible judgment of sending them into exile, out of the land that he had given them. Uh, so the major world power at that time when Isaiah is writing up there, the major world power is the nation of Assyria. And that should be familiar if you've been with us for the first half of Isaiah. Assyria is kind of the threat in the background. Uh, within 20 years of when Isaiah starts preaching, uh, the, the, uh, Israel in the north has gone from a time of relative prosperity to being annihilated, basically. They've defeated by Assyria and dragged off into exile. So Isaiah is down the south, he's in the southern kingdom and he's preaching his message and they're watching all this happen up the north and they have their own kind of scares and you can read about that um, in the earlier chapters. But Isaiah's message to Judah in the south is that God's judgment is coming for them as well. Uh, and, and that's kind of a dominant theme of the first half of Isaiah. Um, hopefully that is familiar to you if you're with us. Judgment is coming, Isaiah says. So turn back, repent, turn back to God. So we're at this halfway point in the book and things here change dramatically. Things change dramatically. And and the reason for that is this second half of the book, it's no longer a record of of Isaiah's preaching to the people who were in Judah at that time. It's no longer a record of his preaching to them. What happens now is that Isaiah looks 150 years into the future. He looks ahead into the future to the time when Judah will be in exile. He looks ahead to that future, and God's shown Isaiah what's going to happen. And this second half of the prophecy that is written for us, it's kind of like a time capsule. You know a time capsule? You put it aside to be pulled out later on. It's kind of like what this second half of Isaiah is, is like. It's waiting to be opened up by these future exiles with God's message for them. Okay, so uh, if you go to the next slide, this is a bit of a, a big picture overview of the whole book of, of Isaiah. Again, hopefully sort of vaguely familiar from when we were in it um, last year. So the, the, the first half of Isaiah, as I said, the theme of God's judgment kind of dominates and it, there's glimpses of hope and good news all the way through. But in the second half, that... That sort of flips over, and God's grace and mercy and hope and good news of salvation dominates the whole second half. Um, Isaiah sees this new power on the rise. So Assyria is the big threat in 
uh, when Isaiah's around, but he sees this future power of Babylon, this other superpower of the time. He sees it's going to take over, uh, it's going to take over Assyria, and it's going to do, Babylon's going to do to Judah in the south what Assyria did to Israel in the north. Is that making sense? <laughs> so Babylon's going to do the same thing uh, to Judah in the south. So Isaiah looks ahead, and he looks ahead after that's happened to God's people in exile in Babylon, and he writes this message of comfort and hope to these exiles in Babylon. He writes this message of comfort, and he wants to tell them God hasn't failed. God hasn't failed. His plan to bring his blessing to the world through Abraham and his seed, that's still in play. God hasn't failed. And all through, the, uh, and through all of this, God is going to bring about this incredible transformation. I've tried to picture it there. It's a transformation that's so huge that by the end of Isaiah, it ends up being a whole new creation, a new heavens and a new earth. Everything has changed. Everything's renewed. So that's just to kind of locate us where we're up to in this wonderful book and what, what will kind of carry us through these next weeks of this term. Okay, so uh, if you have Bibles open, that's going to be helpful for you in chapter 40, or the, it'll be up on the screen too if you, if you need to see it up there. But these opening verses of chapter 40, they're kind of like a, a movie preview. So if you, um, uh, if you watch a movie preview, what do you get? You kind of get glimpses of uh, the things that are going to happen throughout the movie. You get a sense for the themes of the movie. Uh, and that's kind of like these opening chapters of, uh, verses of chapter 40. It's like giving us this preview of, of what's coming. So to God's people in exile, this is what Isaiah writes. It'll be on the screen, Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Now, without reading the, the 39 chapters before this, it can be a bit hard to sense the kind of feeling that this would bring to the first readers of this. Uh, but, but maybe you can get a bit of a sense of that, especially if you have uh, heard the message of those chapters as we've been going through it. It's, this verse is like a sudden downpour of rain on a parched and drought-stricken land. It's like this sudden relief and mercy and grace. The, uh, the first 39 chapters have been dominated by judgment and warning and then we hear these beautiful, beautiful words of comfort, comfort my people. After everything that's happened, after all Israel's sin and rebellion, after, after all the exile, they are still, what does God call them? My people. My people. They are still his people. And he is going to bring comfort to them. What is this comfort going to look like? I think this is quite interesting. The first thing that Isaiah highlights here, or that God highlights through Isaiah, the first aspect of this comfort is that their sins would be forgiven. They'd be atoned. They'd be wiped away. Uh, verse 2. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hands and uh, double for all her sins. 
I think it's quite important and interesting that this is the first thing Isaiah highlights as he moves to this section full of comfort. Uh, we live in a culture that kind of downplays sin, right? The whole idea of sin. But we can't escape the reality of it, the reality of sin. Now, all of us carry around deep and heavy burdens and regrets because of our sin, because of our self-centered and proud and unloving thoughts and actions. Uh, we all live under the just judgment of God for our sin. Another part of the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And Isaiah pictures this beautiful time when those wages are fully and totally paid and finally paid. Um, he doesn't, at this point, he doesn't go into how that's going to happen. How will this forgiveness come to God's people? Isaiah doesn't go into it here. Uh, you have to wait till chapter 53 to get that, and we'll get that there in a few weeks' time. Uh, but their sins being paid for, forgiven, totally wiped away, is the kind of first and fundamental feature of this comfort that God promises to bring his people. It's kind of the first thing he mentions, but it's only a start. It's only a start. This forgiveness of sins is going to go alongside a renewed relationship with God, where God is going to come and be with them in this new way. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. A voice of one calling, In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You see the imagery there? I reckon it's a little bit like a parent who's lost their kid and, and sort of finally sees a glimpse of them in the distance. They don't kind of meander around or get distracted by something. They kind of make a beeline. Like anyone who gets in their way, uh, look out. Um, I, that's kind of, I think that's sort of like the picture that is happening here. God is coming to save his people and nothing will get in his way. Um, valleys are going to be raised up. Mountains will be leveled. <laughs> so that God can come in his grace to save his people. The ho and the, ho the whole world will see this. The glory of the Lord is going to be revealed. All people will see it together. God's going to be present with his people in a new and powerful way. What comfort that's going to bring. But he's also going to give them his sure and strong word. So let's keep reading. Isaiah writes this in verse 6. A voice cries out, a voice says, cry out. And I say, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. 
Uh, that phrase in verse 9, good news, you bring good news to Zion, uh, good news to Jerusalem, it's the same word that we use when we say the word gospel. Uh, it's the same kind of word. Uh, this, this, this is the gospel in Isaiah. This is the gospel, the good news. Uh, through the long story of the world, of kingdoms that rise and fall and rise and fall, there is one thing that will endure. One thing that is more sure than anything else. The word of the Lord, the good news, the gospel that his people would lift their voices and joyfully declare to the world, here is your God. And when their God comes, what's he going to be like? What, what will he be like? Well, those, these last verses of this section are just so precious and just beautiful. He'll have this amazing mixture of both matchless strength and compassionate tenderness. And verse 10, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with his mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Friends, this is the comfort that Isaiah gives to this future generation who are in exile in Babylon. Their sins would be forgiven. God's glorious presence would come. His eternal gospel would be proclaimed. And they would have him as their strong and tender shepherd and like I said, this is like the preview, right? How all this is going to happen un unfolds as you keep reading the rest of Isaiah's prophecy. And that's what we'll look at through this whole term. But there's, there's one aspect of this comfort that um, is, comes up for the first time in these chapters we're looking at. But it's, a, it's an aspect that gets repeated again and again through this section. It becomes really important. It comes up at key moments it's this mysterious figure that Isaiah introduces to us called the servant. The servant. Uh, if you're in home groups, hopefully you would have seen this through the week as you looked at the, this week's study. But uh, there's this idea of God's servant that comes up through, through the book of Isaiah. Uh, one, one of the ways Isaiah talks about the people of Israel um, is that they, uh, like collectively, they were God's servants. God had given them a job to do. So um, chapter 41, verse 8, should be on the screen. Is that right? Yes. Uh, but you, Israel, my servant, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you, descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth. From its farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I've chosen you and have not rejected you. So uh, Israel as a whole is God's servant. Later on, uh, uh, next week, we'll see how actually there's another guy who gets called a servant as well, who's a foreign enemy. Uh, we'll look at that next time. But, but God had chosen Israel to be his servant. He'd, set, he'd given them a special job to do. They were to be his holy people and they'd bring his blessing to the whole world. But as you keep reading through these chapters, you find out Israel does this terrible job of being this servant. Um, they, they, they're, they're hopeless at it. Uh, so later in chapter 42, verse 19, you read this. 
Who is blind but my servant? And deaf like the messenger I send? Who is blind like the one in covenant with me? Blind like the servant of the Lord? You have seen many things, but you pay no attention. Your ears are open, but you do not listen. <laughs> so Israel was God's servant, but they failed to do the job God had given them to do. But nestled right in the middle of this section we're looking at is another person who's called the servant. And this time it, does, it, it, it narrows into one person. It's not a kind of collective of the whole nation. There's, this, there's this, this figure who comes to actually dominate large part, the rest of the book of Isaiah. This is, he's an individual person. Uh, he's a person who would come and be in himself everything that Israel failed to be. He'd be the true servant of the Lord. And Isaiah introduces him uh, in that, the passage that Jess read out for us, chapter 42. Just um, stunning promise. Chapter 42, verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. You can already sense how different this servant is to the nation of Israel. I will put my spirit on him. And he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. This figure, this person, this servant, is, it's like he's going to be the channel through which God's comfort comes to his people and even to the whole world. To the whole world. And one of the things that gets repeated, maybe you picked it up as we read through, one of the things that gets repeated is this idea of justice. This servant is going to bring justice. I don't know what, what you think of when you think of justice. Um, I think uh, sometimes we think the idea of justice is, is uh, kind of basically people getting what they deserve. Like, that's, that's what I think justice is. But there's something actually much bigger going on um, when in the Old Testament when it uses this idea of justice. It's, so that's part of it, but this idea of justice is much bigger. Justice in the Bible, in the Old Testament, means everything being rightly ordered under God's good and loving rule. Uh, it, it means relationships made right and whole. It means a world that's kind of flourishing, everything lived as it's supposed to be. <laughs> this beautiful picture of things relating rightly to one another, people relating rightly to another. So this is what this servant is going to bring about. God's justice, God's right rule on earth. It's this like huge mission, right? Uh, he's going to bring nothing less. He's going to bring God's great eternal purposes. He's going to bring, about, bring them about in the earth. He's going to undo the curse of the fall. He's going to restore humanity to a right relationship with God and with each other. He's going to make God known across the world. It's this awesome picture of what the servant's going to do. But I don't think that's actually the most astonishing thing about this little, this little passage. 
I think the most astonishing thing actually comes not with what he's going to do, but how he's going to go about it. How he's going to go about it. He's not only kind of God's chosen bringer of justice to the world, he is, he is the servant. That's how he's introduced. He's the servant who is tender and humble. You, you pick that up as we read through. He, he won't shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. He won't go about his mission. He, he won't go about what he's doing in the way that kind of sinful humans do, right? Kind of big noting ourselves and saying, look at me. He's going to be the opposite. He is so tender, so attracted to the outcast and the vulnerable, so aware of the most insignificant people. To pick up that image, a bruised reed he will not break. Think about a reed that's been kind of plucked out of the riverbank and thrown on the ground and trampled on as people have walked along. It's bruised, it's crushed, it can't stand up, it's not noticed by anyone. Yet this mighty servant who will bring justice to the earth, he won't break it. He won't break it. He'll care for it. He'll consider it. I think of a struggling candle, right? A candle that's sort of, its light is fading and it's spent. It's about to go out. It's smouldering away. This servant won't just thoughtlessly snuff it out. It's an image of people, people who are at the end of their strength, people who have nothing more to give, people who are just totally spent, who are damaged, who are overlooked. This mighty justice-bringing servant cares for bruised reeds and smouldering wicks. He cares for you. Well, friends, Isaiah looked ahead to this servant of the Lord. He looked, it was sort of in Isaiah's future. But of course, we look back on him, right? We look back on this servant. One of the great things I'm really enjoying, um, we're going through Matthew's gospel together as a church at the same time as we're going through Isaiah. And uh, one of the things I think is really helpful is that you see Isaiah's fingerprints all over Matthew's gospel. Uh, he's everywhere. So um, just a few examples. In Matthew 3, John the Baptist comes in the wilderness, and uh, in the wilderness of Judea, and he's saying, he's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And Matthew writes this in chapter 3, verse 3. This is he who was spoken about through the prophet Isaiah. So the one Isaiah spoke about in chapter 40, this voice crying out, prepare the way for God to come and save his people. This is he who was spoken about, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And maybe you remember when John then baptizes Jesus, what happens there? The heavens open, the spirit descends on, Christ, on Jesus and God the Father declares to the world, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And of course, we, we saw this just uh, earlier this year, actually. Uh, as Jesus proclaims the, his kingdom in his teaching and he embodies it in his works and healing, uh, Matthew writes this in chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. And he goes on. 
quote the rest of Isaiah 42 that we're looking at today. All that to say, friends, this hope of the world, the one that Isaiah longed for, that he looked ahead for, we are in the most remarkable and blessed and stunning position that we look back on him. He has already come. He has come. This justice-bringing servant of the Lord has come. In Jesus we have, you have, the strong and tender hope of the world. He holds out a comfort that you can get nowhere else. He has achieved justice for you at the cross. Your sin is paid for. You are made right with God. And with, in the church, you are made right with one another among his people. He has come to be with us in the flesh, and he is now with us by his spirit and in his word, and he will return to finally and fully bring about his justice in all the earth, gathering his lambs in his arms and gently leading them to their eternal home. So I wonder if you need some comfort today. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He calls you. Your sins don't stop you. They are the reason he came. And if you come turning from them to him, he will wipe them away. The bruises you carry don't stop you. He will not break you or snuff you out. You can trust him to deal tenderly with you. Come and rest again friends, or maybe for the first time, in the word that will never fail, the sure hope that this servant will make everything new, will finally establish God's justice on the earth. I'm going to pray for us that God might help us to do that right now. Let's pray together. Later in Isaiah 40, Isaiah writes this, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. What comfort the gospel brings, our gracious God. Thank you for the, this wonderful comfort of knowing that our sins are forgiven, that, we, that you are present with us in power and tenderness, that in Christ we have this glorious servant of the Lord through your Son, O Father, through your Son, by your Spirit, you are bringing about true justice. 
You're recreating this world in life and peace, and you are doing that within us, in our own hearts and minds, and together as your people. Please continue to do that and help us to long for the day when that wonderful justice will be all in all. Lord, I just pray particularly for those of us who need particular comfort today. May we draw from this deep and everlasting well. May we come to Jesus, hear again the truth of what he has accomplished and the great promise of what he will accomplish. And may we rest in that, in his name. Amen.